understood and wants to play What if we could start over, we could start over, we could start over Oh, for the lonely, for the ashamed The misunderstood and the wants to blame What if we could start over, we could start over, we could start over
I'll be your 
Love is like the spring, it brings me life. Your heart is like the warmth of a summer night. Oh, I know it's not always easy, but when the winter comes, I will always believe in us on the day. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us here at Trinity Bible Church. Uh, Come on in. Make your way in. We also want to say um, a good morning and a happy Father's Day to all the the dads out there. And thanks for joining us this morning. And and, uh, also, we say a good morning to all of our friends and family that are joining us online through our live stream. Uh, Just a good reminder that if you're ever away uh, for a Sunday, you're traveling, or if you're home sick, you can uh, go ahead and, and uh, click onto our website, trinityallenwood.com, and just click right there, the big button that says Watch Live, and you can join us online so you don't miss at least the worship and the word. Uh, but it's always good to gather together on this first day of the week to begin a new week together uh, in worshiping the Lord and bringing our focus and attention on him. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Because you know, at, at Trinity here, we have three words that are important to us learn and grow and serve. And these words are important because they're part of our core values. Because we learn the truth when we get together. And then we grow in our faith, right, from the learning of that truth. And then, of course, the outpouring of that is our service. So we learn, we grow, we serve. And we serve one another. And it starts here in this room in our church family. We serve each other and then we take that that heart and that act of service outside of these four walls. So this is how we pursue discipleship, being followers of Christ, by learning the truth and growing in faith and serving one another. And then our lives as um, Christians in this world is to continue that process, to learn, to grow, and to serve. We're gonna do all all three this morning. And just also a reminder that uh, a way that you can uh, uh, add a little more fellowship to your time on Sundays is to come a little early at 9.45. We have um, our fellowship breakfast, coffee breakfast, and so you can get here at 9.45 until about 10.15, and there's a light breakfast and coffee available, so... Avail yourselves for that, to come uh, early and, uh, and get some more fellowship in, connect with people that you haven't seen in a while, because as I often try to remind myself and all of you, we need each other, and that we are to live in a community of faith, continuing to encourage each other uh, in our walk with the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so, um, and so in a moment, we're going to stand and worship God through song, which we love to do here. Uh, And then, of course, we'll open God's word together. But I'd like to read for you a a passage of Scripture as our call to worship this morning. And uh, as we hear this word, as you hear it being read, uh, just pray that perhaps there'd be a word or a phrase that that, uh, the Holy Spirit will use um, to impress upon you as, as a way to bring your focus and attention to the Lord. Because we've all had different kinds of experiences this morning and throughout the week, 
And we've all come together here this morning uh, for that purpose of worshiping God. And it's Christ that binds us together as believers in him. And so we want our attention and focus to be where it should be. And that is on the Lord our God. And so here is what it says in Psalm 93. And this is the entire psalm. It's a brief psalm. But in Psalm 93, it says this. Let these words be our call to worship this morning. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established, and it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old, and you are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord, The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy, and holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Father, how grateful we are for the power of your word. And your psalm, this song to us, reminds us that you are mighty and powerful, greater than the roaring waves of the ocean, mightier than all that we can ever imagine. You are our powerful God. It is good and right to be in this place this morning, Father, to offer up praises to you, because as your word has reminded us, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. So, Father, now, as we lift our voices and join our hearts together in song, Father, we desire to present ourselves to you as an act of worship, that spiritual act of worship. Lord, we give. We have come not not to receive, but to give. And so, Lord, in these last moments, and as we sing these songs, Father, still our hearts, calm our minds, Help us, Lord, through the power of your Spirit to put all else aside and enjoy being in your presence. For you are a holy God, and you are our heavenly, loving Father. Father, this time is for you. May you be honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, let's worship the Lord together. Jesus is coming soon. 
so we can find our way back to our seats. And of course, uh, our young ones, the kids have made their way down the hall with their teachers and we uh, wanna continue to pray for them. As the word says that we are to, to commend the mighty works of God from one generation to the next. And so that is what we are continually uh, doing here at Trinity, uh, just teaching up our next generation of believers and leaders here at the church. And so we're grateful for them, for the kids here, and for those that spend the time working with them. And so we pray for them, and we're, we're blessed. So before we uh, dive into God's Word this morning, just a few things of what we call church life to get caught up, be on the same page. As you heard me announce last week, um, that next Sunday, which is June 26th already, next Sunday, is uh, another uh, of our pizza and the gospel gatherings. And so our missions team has put this together. And, you know, the missions team tries to uh, put together at least one event every month throughout the year uh, for an opportunity for us to reach out to the community. And it looks different every month, but um, what we're doing this month is next Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, everyone is welcome to meet in the center city. You'll get more details through email, and you'll hear about it next Sunday as well during service. But we're going to meet at 2 p.m. next Sunday. Gives you time to get a little lunch and then meet to simply have some pizza in the gospel. So even if you don't have time to grab lunch, there will be pizza. And the idea is that the church provides a bunch of pizzas, and the missions team and whoever uh, is going to join us is open to the whole church goes, and uh, we just gather there outside, put out some tables, and the pizza. And people come from the community, people that are in need, people that are stopping by, people that are just curious, why are these people giving out free pizza, right? What's the catch? There's no catch other than just to provide uh, a quick and simple meal to people, especially those that might be in need, hand out some blessing bags to people that truly are in need, but hopefully and prayerfully to begin conversations, to open a door. So you meet a very practical and immediate need by providing some food. But of course, we know we love to gather around meals, right? And it attracts us, and it's a way that we can kind of converse, and it helps to break the ice. And so, so what you do is you start conversations with people that come up to, to get a free slice of pizza. And then, Lord willing, you can listen to them and hear their story and then get an opportunity to share your story about who you are, why you're there, and to share your faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's a very simple but powerful way 
to share the gospel. And so I encourage all of you to do that. It's next Sunday, the 26th at 2 p.m. Please make sure you put that on your calendars uh, for, uh, for next Sunday. Uh, also next Sunday, the 26th, we'll be having a, a guest speaker. I will, uh, I will be here. Sometimes we have guest speakers come in when I'm traveling, but I get to be here and listen to my good friend, uh, Pastor Jared Nicastro. It's been a long time since he's been here, but he is the lead teaching pastor uh, at a church up in uh, Middletown, New Monmouth Baptist Church, and um, he has uh, agreed graciously to come and to, to share the word for next Sunday, so please make a note of that and let your friends know to come to listen to him. He's a wonderful uh, man of God and a great teacher up there. He happens to have the Sunday off, so I invited him to come down to take his Sunday off to come and preach, right? And he was like, thanks so much for the opportunity, so... Uh, but he was glad to do it. It's been many years since uh, he's been here. I think it's been a few years. So anyway, we'll be blessed to have him. So he will come, Pastor Jared Nicastro, to deliver the message next Sunday. Uh, also, just uh, before, again, we get started uh, back into the Word of God, two other things. Um, you know, yesterday uh, we had the honor uh, of, um, uh, of hosting the uh, memorial service, the funeral service, for our dear uh, brother in the Lord, Tony Nadell. And uh, all of you know, most of you know that he passed away last Monday at the age, age of 86, had some complications and um, uh, health complications right there at the end. And um, uh, the family uh, knew how um, important Trinity was to him and uh, how important he is to us. And so we uh, we're able to host that here. There are many friends and family that gathered uh, to remember him and to honor him. So I want to say thank you for those that were able to come that sent well wishes and prayers to the family. Um, but just I want to share a couple of quick thoughts from that uh, because it really was um, a sweet and special time. Because of course, does it not make all the difference when somebody passes from this life to the next and you knew that they were a believer in the Lord Jesus, because we, we mourn uh, for our loss, but yet um, he is with the Lord and has joined his dear wife, Shirley, who passed about five years ago as well, and they are now in the presence of the Lord together. And so um, that makes all the difference, because even in the midst of hurt and mourning, uh, we have hope, and we know that we can rejoice because of where he is now. And so um, it was a sweet time. And, and you know, we've all been to uh, funerals, memorial services, and we know an important part of that is to share stories. And uh, Tony loved to share stories. He really did. And um, I want to share two quick stories about Tony, because he was a faithful uh, member and worshiper here and served here for many, many years. And he was quiet. Maybe some of you didn't even know him, but he was here. And um, the first thing, I, I got to share this yesterday, but when uh, when I first came to the church, I remember he greeted me. It was right by those double doors, and I would stand there, and people would come out, and he greeted me with a firm handshake and a big smile. And he said, my name is Tony. That's Tony No Baloney. That's what he said. And that was his nickname. I thought maybe he was just joking for that day, but I learned that uh, his family also uh, kind of knew him that way, and so he was funny. But I have to say that I found that, uh, that funny nickname to be true for him because there was no baloney in Tony, that he was authentic and he was real 
and he was a, 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 a godly man. And so I appreciated that. But the other story, even much more profound, um, when his dear wife Shirley passed away, it really, really hit him hard. And maybe some of you remember that. Um, for a while, he was, he was devastated. And I, I was there the day that she passed away. I was going to visit her. And, and um, um, Tony was there, of course, and she had just passed away uh, just moments before. And, and uh, of course, devastated and distraught. But, but sometime shortly after that, he came to me and he said, Pastor Keith, God spoke to me in a dream. And he said, God gave me two words because he had a trouble sleeping and he was just so distraught. And the two words that God gave our brother Tony was only believe. Now these are words from the scriptures. So God gave him his word that we have in his word, the written word, and reminded him of it in that dream that Tony needs to only believe. And those words that moment, he said, gave him such a peace and a renewed hope. And from that time on, church, I saw the difference in the way that he worshiped the Lord. And maybe some of you noticed that too. He'd always sit right back in that corner and he would raise holy hands and he would sing real loud. And he loved to worship his Jesus. And it was that moment that was pivotal for him. Because why? In the midst of the hurt God had heard his cry and helped him and reminded him of the hope if only we are to believe, only believe. Let that be a word for us this morning as well as we go through this week that, that, that over 150 times in the New Testament alone that God tells us that when it comes to our salvation, our personal salvation, that it is about believing. That is how we receive that gift of salvation, by believing in Jesus Christ. And it really is that simple, that when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the very Son of God, the promised Messiah, the one and only, the way, the truth, and the life, and that he did what he said he was coming to do, die on the cross and come back to life to defeat death. When we believe that, when we believe that those things are true and that they're true for us. He did it for us. The Bible says we are saved. You know what? Tony's faith was renewed and it showed in the way he worshiped. We'll always remember him. And you know, I, when I was up here on stage leading worship week after week, I would love to see him worship. It's how encouraging it would be for me personally. And I will miss him. So we thank God for him and for people like Tony. And so we'll miss him. But uh, praise to God. Praise God that we, uh, we look forward to seeing him again one day. Amen. Amen. Um, finally, last note, and then we'll get back into God's word, that today is Father's Day. So again, happy Father's Day. So all the dads that are with us and those dads that are joining us online, we say thank you and uh, thank you for being here, for joining us, and thank you for being a dad. And we know the Word of God says a lot about fatherhood and what that means and all that comes along with it. And of course, it gives us the greatest picture of a father, and that is our Heavenly Father. Isn't that amazing that we can call the God of the universe Dad, Abba Father, right? Like Papa. We can be that personal with him. And as a dad myself, right, we want to, I want to be that kind of loving 
Father, that our Heavenly Father exemplifies for us. So I'd like to pray now for all of our dads. So would you close your eyes and bow your heads and pray along with me. Father, I want to thank you for each man here, especially those who are fathers. And God, we know in our world, it can be difficult, Lord. It can be so difficult to to be the kind of father that you have called us to be, to be the godly man that you have created us to be. But our heavenly father, right now, these earthly fathers, we, we say thank you for the privilege of being dads. The privilege it is to raise children, to teach them your ways, to be an example, but God, sometimes that responsibility is overwhelming. And Lord, with so many other influences in our kids' lives, may we, Father God, live up to your expectations for us. May we get on our knees and seek after you each and every day that we may live by example, always pointing our children to you, the perfect Father. But God, again, thank you for the joys of being a dad. Thank you, Lord, help us to never take it for granted. And God, may we pray for our children often. May we be men who are found praying. Fathers who pray for their sons and daughters. Lord, please have mercy on us Give us the strength and the courage that we need to be the godly dads that you call us to be. Father, we look to you for our help and our strength. And may our children, may our wives, our homes, our families be blessed. And Father, we thank you again for that great privilege, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure after service that you uh, find a dad, maybe some of you didn't just greet before and just say happy Father's Day to them. And all the dads on your way out of service later, make sure that you take a gift. It will be handed to you by one of our, our beautiful children here at church. And make sure you take one. It's just a, a small token of our appreciation and saying happy Father's Day to you. All right, so make sure you, you take one of those gifts, dads, on your way out. Um, you know, we are in uh, this series, First uh, and Second Peter, and as we go through these books, we are realizing that it's a pretty hard thing to be a follower of Jesus in a world that is hostile to our faith. And this is the context in which Peter was writing these letters to encourage New Christians who were exiles, he calls them the scattered ones, who were throughout the, the area known now as southern Turkey. They were there, and they were facing persecution, not yet such the, the, the physical uh, abuse and torture and killing of Christians, which we know happens. But at this point in the life of the history of the church, the persecution they were most likely facing was a little bit more like what we might be used to. It was more of ridicule and mocking, maybe people not wanting to do business with them and them feeling a little bit more like they were outcasts and they didn't know 
how to face this kind of, of ostracizing and persecution. And so Peter was trying to encourage them about who they are in Christ and to remember how they are to act now that they are brand new in their faith, that they are not like the unbelievers around them. But how are they then to act? Are they to completely separate themselves and to, to go to live and not even associate with them? Or how is it that they are to? And, and in recent weeks, we have seen that Peter has said some specific words to specific Christians in their relationships and how they are to relate to the government or how they relate to, uh, to employers and your employee at work. And last time we talked about husbands and wives, but now Peter is talking to all believers, not in particular certain groups of Christians, but he is now giving us a word about how we are, again, to act as Christians in a world full of non-believers, especially a world that is in general, and becoming more specifically hostile to our faith. And Jesus reminds us that in a way we're not to take it personally because they're not really being hostile to us personally, but it's to Christ, right? And Christ in us and who we represent. And so today you're going to see in our passage, which is 1 Peter 3, and it's verses 8 to 12. You can turn to it. In a moment, it'll be up on the screen for you. But it's good to open your own Bibles or your Bible app on your phone and look at 1 Peter 3. Verses 8 through 12, continuing in this overall theme of, of how, to, um, how to conduct ourselves as suffering Christians in the midst of suffering. And you know, um, today, Peter is talking about the use of our words. Boy, words can build up or they can tear down, can't they? Words are powerful the Bible has a lot to say about our words. The Word of God has a lot to say about our words, the power of the tongue. You know, when I was in fifth grade in elementary school, we had a gym class, right? And one particular day during this week of gym class, we had to run a race. Weren't those great fun days that you look forward to? You get gym, you're like, you have to run a race. Like, oh my goodness, why are we doing this, right? I'd rather just play badminton or, you know, volleyball or something. So we had to race all the other kids. Isn't that great to just pit one kid against another and see how it works out? And so there was one other kid who I thought I was friends with, and, and we were part of this race together. They were pairing us off two by twos, and I beat him in this race. It was just in gym class, but afterwards he got so upset because the whole class saw me beat him in this race. And so after class, he came up to me in front of a bunch of other students, and what do you think he said? He said, I'll meet you after school. Because he was so offended that I beat him in this race. Why? Why are we going to meet after school? And so he said, meet me after school by the big tree. Everybody knew where the big tree was. So I met him after school. I figured he was upset. And of course, it wasn't just me and him. All the rest of the fifth grade class comes out, of course, right? Because they want to see there's going to be a fight, right? And so he comes up to me, and he starts talking to me and telling me he wants to fight me. 
because I beat him. So he wants to fight me. And so I'm standing there thinking, I don't want to fight this kid. I don't want to fight him. So I said to him, I don't want to fight. Now, I think that's kind of bold, right? That's kind of bold for a fifth grader to say that in front of all the other students, right? The kids go, ooh, right? And so I say, I'm not going to fight you. He says, we're going to fight. And as I'm saying it again, I am not going to fight you. In the midst of me saying that, he punched me right in the nose. And my nose starts bleeding. And I remember my first thought was, I can't believe he just punched me right? And all the other kids, all the other students are waiting to see what I was going to do. But I didn't hit him back. I walked away. I walked away. Now, I was always taught not to pick a fight. Now, I believe we can defend ourselves when the, the time is right. But I walked away with I had two friends that were with me, and they walked away with me. I remember one of my friends named John, had the wisdom to say, it's not worth it. Encourage me. Yeah, let's walk away. My nose was bleeding. And I remember my other thought was, and I said to my friend John, do not tell my parents what just happened. But of course, I also remember as I'm walking away from the crowd of kids and from this other kid who hit me in the nose, that they're all laughing and mocking, calling me chicken, whatever it was, because I didn't put up a fight. But see, I didn't think it was worth it. Now, I'd love to say that I was just very wise, you know, and I was just doing what the Bible said, but at the time, I wasn't even a Christian. But yet, I walked away. Maybe I walked away because I was afraid and I didn't want to get in a fight. I didn't want to get a black eye and a bloody nose. But it just didn't seem right. And so I walked away from that fight. Now, I could have used my words as well as my fists to defend myself. But you know, in our passage today, Peter is teaching these Christians, and he has a word for us today, that he says, it does really matter how you respond when you are wronged, when there is injustice, or especially when there is evil done to you. Are we to respond with evil to evil? And so Peter has a word for us today about that. But you know, before I read it, there's a much better example than the one I gave you from my childhood. And there's a few in Scripture, but one in particular is the relationship of King David and King Saul. Remember, of course, King Saul. Saul was king, and read about him First Samuel and other places in the Old Testament. And, and yet David was the future king. He wasn't yet. But if you remember, King Saul hated David to the point where he chased him, and David ran for his life. And David didn't want to fight back. And there was at least two times we know of recorded in Scripture where David had the opportunity to actually take Saul out. Because Saul was chasing him to kill him, and he knew it, to murder David. And David had at least two opportunities to kill him. But he chose not to. And it's a great example of someone who actually was being chased and threatened, but yet, as we might say, took the high road, that did what he knew God would want him to do. It says in 1 Samuel 24, these are the words of David to Saul. 
May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. In fact, it's interesting. One time David even refused to fight Saul, and on the run, he hid with the Philistines. You remember that story? He hid amongst the Philistines who knew of King David, this great warrior who, who would be king. They knew of David, and he took the opportunity, the chance, the risk to hide from King Saul, who wanted to murder him, amongst the Philistines, the enemy. Because he did not think that Saul would look there, but of course, he feared they would recognize him, and they did. And you know what David did? Once they recognized who he was and they threatened his life, David pretended to be crazy. He pretended to be insane. He started knocking his head against the wall and pretending to foam from the mouth like a crazy, insane person. And so all the Philistines were like, we got to get him out of here. Get him out of here. We don't want anything to do with him. So he, he saved himself from Saul and from the Philistines by pretending to be crazy. Now, maybe I should have done that when that kid hit me in the nose. I could have started running around crazy. Everybody would have left. Let's get out of here. Now, of course, we also know from David's life, he wasn't always so righteous and doing the right thing and not always repaying evil with evil because we also know from David's later life, he was an adulterer. And in order to cover that up, he was a murderer keeping evil on top of evil. So even an example like that, we know there is no one perfect other than Jesus. But yet from David's life, we see that as he was being chased by Saul, there were times that he could have ended Saul's life, but he chose not to. And he said in those words in 1 Samuel 24, that God is gonna be the judge, Saul, between me and you. Let him be the judge. The Lord will avenge me. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. My hand will not be against you. I'm sure he wanted to, but he chose to do what he knew God would want him to do. Have you ever been? It's a silly question. You have been. We've all been in that situation where we have been wronged. There has been injustice perpetrated against us. Somebody has mocked us made fun of us, maybe even physically assaulted you? And how do you want to respond in that moment? What does the flesh say? But what does the word of God say? You know, that story I told you about David acting crazy to get away from Saul and the Philistines, from, um, from Saul and the Philistines, that's the background of Psalm 34. Read the Psalm and you'll see. It's in that moment or from that story that David wrote Psalm 34. And in our passage that I'm about to read in 1 Peter, Peter quotes Psalm 34 as an example of why we are not to repay evil with evil. And it comes from a Psalm of David when he escaped persecution by not retaliating. So here's what it says. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. It's all up on the screen right there. Finally, all of you, Peter says, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble 
mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For, and now he quotes Psalm, this is a quote from Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Just as an aside there, notice in the end of verse 12, and he, his ears are open to their prayer. If you remember from last week, in the, in, we started here in verse 8, in verse um, 7 from last week. When Paul was talking about husbands, when Peter was talking about husbands and wives, and he said to husbands, you better treat your wives properly if you want your prayers to be answered and heard. And here, as he's quoting Psalm 34 in this same context, verse 12 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. It is a call to live righteously, to act with virtue as God shows us how in his word. In this passage, Peter teaches us how to pursue peace. See, it says it in verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. Not just look for it, but to go after it. Do you see the difference? Seek peace and pursue it. Spend your life looking for ways to be peaceful. He says our words make all the difference. Keeping our tongue from evil, he says, is the key to keeping the peace. I think we can all agree, like, that's true from our experience, is it? You want to keep the peace in a marriage? Don't return an unkind word with an unkind word. He uses this passage from Psalm 34 as his reference in his text. So we're going to unpack that second part. See, the first part we have up there, 8 through 9, are really like Peter's um, commentary. He expounds on the, the, uh, the passage from Psalm 34. So he quotes the psalm, but first he kind of expounds on it. These are his thoughts, and then he says, here's my thoughts on the subject but here's what God says. Okay, that's the way it is. So verses 8 and 9 kind of unpack verses 10 through 12, and that's what we're going to do this morning, just briefly in our time together. So in this part of Psalm 34, David, in relation to Saul, we see giving that example, he chose not to repay evil with evil when he certainly could have. So, there's three things in this psalm, verses 10, 11, and 12, that we want to see. Because Peter takes out three things. He, he chooses this passage of Psalm 34 for a reason. The first thing Peter expounds upon is this. Verse 10 says, whoever, does not, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him do what? Keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He says, rule number one, right? Don't be the instigator. 
Don't be the one that starts by speaking evil or unkind words or sinful things or bad, harmful words towards somebody else. So he's saying the first rule is don't be the instigator yourself. Don't you start trouble. Don't you be the troublemaker. We all have enough troublemakers in our lives, don't we? Don't you be the troublemaker. So he says, first of all, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Don't speak evil first towards others. Don't do it. Because our words are powerful. Let's park there for a second. See, God spoke the world into being. How? By his words. Words have power. Now we, as his creation, right? The pinnacle of his creation, he has given us language, the ability to communicate with words, the only of his creation to be able to do that. But how does he want us to use our words? How does he desire that we communicate? God spoke the world into being by the power of his words. We are made in his image. Therefore, our words have power. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't speak worlds into existence. I can't speak anything into existence. But yet my words have power. Because as we all know, we can attest to, once those words leave your mouth, can you put them back in? You can't put the toothpaste back into the tube, can you? Mm. The power of our words, they can tear people down. They can burden people under the weight of just one word. Remember, church, remember this, that your words affect more people than just you. And your words have weight. There are people that love you. There are people that look up to you and count on you. And there are people, whether you know it or not, that will listen to every word you have to say. And it will mean something to them. Even if you just think you're throwing away words, they listen. Boy, as parents, you know, especially on Father's Day, I think about times that I've said things and my kids are listening and boy, they just take it all in, right? They take it all in. And then the worst part is later when they repeat it. And you're like, where'd you hear that from? You said it, Dad. (laughs) Because they listen and they learn. Your words are powerful and have an effect on people. Words can dig deep into wounds that already exist, and they can inflict more new wounds. But words can also build up. Proverbs 18, 21 tells us that they can give us life. They can give life by lifting up others. Our words can tear down or lift up. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. How about that? Can we get any clearer than that? The tongue has the power of life and death. Death. What's that old saying that the pen is mightier than the sword? The idea that the written word, a word, can do more damage than even a sword to a body. So, church, are we using our words to build people up or to tear them down? Are our words filled with hate or with love, with blessing or with bitterness? Do all we do is complain? Or do we offer compliments? Words can be tools, and very powerful ones. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 
I tell you, these are the words of Jesus, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every, listen, for every careless word they have spoken. This is Matthew 12, 36 and 37. Put it in the margin of your Bible. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. Jesus says, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Ultimately, I believe if he's speaking to believers, it means that we know there are rewards in heaven, and our words will be tested. It says elsewhere in Corinthians, that when we come before God, that judgment seat of Christ, as believers, not for our salvation to be judged, that's already secure in Christ here and now, but our actions as Christians will be judged. And if it passes through the testing fire, like silver, gold, and precious stone, it will be accounted to us. Maybe another jewel in the crown. But if it doesn't, if they are unkind words, if they are evil spoken in response to evil, they will burn up during that judgment seat of Christ like wood, hay, and straw. We will miss out on those eternal rewards. Our words are to be helpful and edifying. Jesus reminds us that the words we speak flow out of the heart. Again, in Matthew 12, 34 to 35, right before that passage I just read, what is Jesus saying? He's saying it starts in the heart, church, that what you think and believe in your heart will eventually come out. We need to be careful of the words that we speak and what we believe in our heart. See, we are changed people as Christians. Therefore, our words, along with our actions, should reflect our newness in Christ. It even goes far as to say in Romans 3.13, Paul describes what we were before Christ. He says, their throats are open graves. How about that? Paul had a way with words, didn't he? He said, before Christ, our throats could be like open graves, which means death. Words of death would come out. Words that could be hurtful to others. See, but now in 1 Peter 3.15, actually, a verse we're going to see next week, Peter says, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see what Peter's saying? He's saying to the church, he's saying, look, always be ready to tell people about the hope you have. Be ready with a good, kind word and tell people about Jesus. He's saying, go into the center of Lakewood, get some pizza, and go tell other people about the gospel, right? Share the good news. He's saying, always be ready to give an account with your words. Always be ready to give an account and tell people with your words about the hope that you have in the new. But then he says, he has to give this caveat, but do it with gentleness, respect. Even if we're doing something like speaking the word of God, the way in which we do it, the words we choose to put before it and after it will make a difference. You can't speak words of kindness from the word of God with hatred in your mouth. See? 
what Peter is telling us. So first, in the psalm, the first thing is, don't you be the instigator, right? But then he says in verse 11, the first half of verse 11, well, this is a quote from Psalm 34, let him turn away evil from evil and do good. I love it. Peter's trying to make a point, so he says, let me just quote God, right? Let me quote scripture. So don't be the instigator, but number two, let us turn away from evil and do good, which means this, if somebody speaks evil against you and uses their words to harm you, how should you respond? So first, don't you start, but then if somebody starts up against you, how do you respond? And he says, turn away, walk away. Turn away from evil and do good. So turn away from evil, but instead of responding against evil with evil, respond to evil with good. Now, church, I think we all agree it's one of the most difficult things to do, isn't it? We don't like to be offended or attacked or insulted. We don't like that at all. And so our first response, right? is to act in kind. Somebody pushes you, you push them. Somebody insults you, you insult them right back. It just comes right out. That is our flesh. That's our natural reaction, you see? But Peter is saying, no. When you're trying to follow Christ, especially in a world that's hostile to you, don't give the world any more reason to hate you or to put you down or to put you in a corner. He says, respond to evil with good. In Matthew 5, what does Jesus teach us? Man, these are hard words, church, but listen to what Jesus says. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, punch him in the nose. No, he doesn't say that. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What? Jesus said, if, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, give him the other one also. Now think about this. If you're facing somebody, just picture it, you're facing somebody, and they want to hit you, what cheek are they going to hit you on? Most likely they're right-handed. They're going to hit you on what cheek? The left cheek. You see that? So when he says if somebody hits you, he, he, he picked the other cheek for a reason. He says if somebody hits you, strikes you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other one. What he's actually saying is if somebody insults you, because if you're standing in front of somebody and they hit you on your right cheek, that means they went like this. You see? Nobody's going to try to punch you from the other way. You see? So what he's saying is if somebody insults you and somebody mocks you, respond. Give him the opportunity. Maybe he'll do it again. Maybe he'll repent. Maybe he'll feel bad. Give him the opportunity. Give him the other cheek. Right? That's what he's saying. Somebody insults you, makes fun of you, speaks evil against you. Jesus says, give him the other cheek. Luke 6, 29 says that he says it this way. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Have you ever done something like that? You know, I'm always, um, I'm always, you know, caught and struck by the beginning of uh, the, well, you've probably seen the movie, but the book Les Miserables, right? The, the, the great epic novel. 
And we've probably seen it's been popularized in movies and on theater of, uh, in theaters, of course, in the theater. And from the beginning of this story, we see Jean Valjean, right, the, the, the hero in the story, the main character. He gets out of prison, and he's still sort of a wanted and marked man, and he goes and he actually steals from sil- some silver from a priest, right, in the church's home, like in the, in the parish, in, in the priest's home. He steals some silver so he could sell it from this priest who had done good to him. And so the cops catch him, bring him back, and the cops expect the priest to say, yes, this man stole from me, but what does the father do, the priest? He says, no, my son, John Valjean, you forgot to take this other silver also. He didn't repay evil with evil and say, yeah, yeah, he stole. He says, you forgot to take the best silver. And it changed his world. It changed Jean Valjean's world, didn't it? It changed him. This act of kindness, which he had never known, how could he do it? Because the priest in that moment was acting on the word of God. If someone steals your cloak, give them your tunic. If they slap you on the cheek with an insult, give them the other cheek. This is how God wants us to live. And even more difficult as Christians in a world that is hostile to the followers of Jesus. So don't be the instigator. And if somebody speaks out against you first, they started it, they started first, right? then don't act in kind. And then finally, in the second part of verse 11, seek peace and pursue it. See, that's the key, I think, this whole passage. Peter is saying, how do you live as followers of Christ in a hostile world? Seek peace. Don't say, well, they're gonna be hostile to me, I'm gonna fight right back. He says, be people of peace. Church, can we all agree it's a very difficult thing to do? But doesn't Jesus teach us in everything he teaches us? It's the opposite of what the world would have us do. It's the opposite of this world system that is run and operated by our enemy, right? We have a spiritual enemy who wants to trip us up. Do you remember I talk about the power of words? When Jesus was tempted in the desert, before he even started his earthly ministry, he was tempted in the desert. How did Satan tempt Jesus with words? With the very word of God, he tempted him to twist those words. People will twist our words to try to get us to say, to say that we said something we didn't even say. Peter says, don't start it. Don't repay evil with evil. And then finally, he says, seek peace and pursue it. I love that in the end there. He doesn't just say, find peace where you can get it. He goes, pursue it, which means, you know what? You be the ones to bring the peace. There's no peace in your home, you bring the peace. There's no peace at work, how about you be the peacemaker? In your friend group, there's all kinds of animosity and dysfunction, how about you be the one to bring words of wisdom and peace? He says, seek it and pursue it. Don't just look for it and say, oh, there's peace over there, okay. I know there's peace. Seek it and then run after it, pursue it. That's where peace is, that's where I wanna be. And if you can't find it, how about you be the one to bring the peace? Look at what it says in Romans 12, 14, 21. I'll read this and then include our thoughts for the day. Read this along with me and see what 
Paul says, the Apostle Paul says about all this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Peter said the same thing, be in harmony. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love that. I think Paul is being a realist too. He's saying, you know what? God knows that we have some limitations, don't we? (laughs) None of us will be perfect. I'm glad God knows that. So he's saying, you know what? If possible, and then he defines that, as long as it depends on you, as best you can do, seeking and pursuing peace, live peaceably with everybody. Do your very best. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There it is. Leave it in God's hands. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How about that? You ever hear that phrase before, heaping burning coals on somebody's head? Now, I think even in the moment, we like to think, yeah, 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 we're going to take them out. We're going to put burning fire on their head. That's the way to do it, Jesus. No. What that probably means is that that there was an ancient tradition that somebody that had to go through repentance had to carry these burning coals on their head, just sort of like as an act of showing that they were repentant for some sin or doing something wrong. And, And most likely what he was saying was that If you do not repay evil with evil, but evil with good, he's saying most likely you will stop your aggressor in their tracks. Because most people will not expect it. And he says, don't heap evil on top of evil, because if you repay evil with evil, then it just creates more evil and sin. See that? A bad word in response to one bad word just keeps perpetrating more bad words. But when you take the high road, when you do what God calls us to do, and you repay evil with good, it's as if you're giving, listen, you're giving that person, they might not always take it, but you're giving them the opportunity to see the errors of their ways. It's been said like this, you're letting them stand alone in their sin. Because when you join them in sin, the waters get muddy, and then you're going to just fuel their fire. But if you return evil with good, it's as if you're giving them a chance to repent. Let them, even for a moment, be alone in their sin. Let them be alone in their sin. They punch you in the nose, you walk away. Then what are they going to do? You can't control other people's actions, but you can control your actions. You can control what you say and do. You can't control how other people respond. But if somebody perpetrates evil against you, 
The Bible clearly tells us in many different ways, Peter and Paul and, of course, the Lord Jesus himself, repay evil with good. That's the way that God would want us to live as believers, especially in a hostile world. And, of course, we end with the greatest of all examples. That's Jesus Christ himself. He remained quiet before his accusers. He did not repay evil with evil. In fact, Jesus shows us the greatest example of overcoming evil with good. How? He overcame the evil of death by giving his life. He took the worst of all situations. When death was reigning, he defeated death by giving his life. He took the evil of our sins upon himself on the cross, and he put them to death. Church, that's what he did. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, only believe, remember that? Believe in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus did that for the world. He did it for me and for you. In chapter two of 1 Peter, we recently read this, we reminded, it said, Peter says of Jesus, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When Jesus suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That was 1 Peter 2.23. And that's where we end. Ultimately, it belongs in the hands of God. In submitting Jesus, in submitting himself to ridicule and mocking and torture and evil, in doing that, he conquered sin and Satan and death. And he did that for us. So as we begin this new week, a new week of work and school, living our lives. How are you going to use your words to build up or to tear down? How will you respond this week if someone wrongs you? Will you repay evil with evil or repay evil with good? How will you act if somebody mocks you or makes fun of you? We respond with a mocking word. We're to leave that in the Lord's hands, keeping burning coals, giving them a chance to see their mistake. And let the last verse of our text today, this is verse 12 from Psalm 34, the one that Peter quoted. Let it be our final word to consider today. Let these words sink into our minds and hearts. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. We are to seek righteousness. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God will take care of it in the end. Let's stand together. Church, we are to pursue peace, act righteously, be the example, rise above the situation, take the high road by being lowly and humble and trust that the Lord himself will protect us and provide. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. As we leave now, Lord God, may your word, may your word be on our hearts and in our minds. God, you teach us big lofty things in your word and you teach us very practical things of everyday life. 
God, we all have stories racing through our minds this morning of times when we failed you, when we repaid evil with more evil. Forgive us of those times, Lord God. And in the future, God, may we rely on you. For you say vengeance is yours. You will have your way with those who wrong us. Father, give us the strength. Please, we can't do it on our own. Give us the courage to stand strong in the face of opposition, in the face of persecution, in the face of suffering for our faith especially. May we represent you well to the world. May we do so with what's in our hearts and what comes across in our lips. May we use our words this week to build up and to not tear down. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us go and seek and pursue peace. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy.
He's out. 